This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. Okay, last week, we heard Jesus just loving, but in a tone, we haven't ever heard him talk like that. And he was warning the religious leaders, those Pharisees, he was warning them because he knew this was his last, his last hurrah with them. He wasn't going to be able to talk to them anymore. He had tried everything possible. And so when he falls on his knees after they have turned away, and you can tell his heart is just broken because he knows that he isn't going to have living contact with them anymore. And their refusal, even though they're very religious, their refusal of believing that he is the Christ, the Messiah, that means he knows that they're headed to eternal death. He knows they're heading to hell. And it just pains him because it is not his will that any go to hell. And remember, he doesn't send anyone there. You do, I do, if we do not choose. You know, it is our choice. And the only person that goes to hell is the one who did not choose the choice that he gave them. It is all about that choice. And he made it so clear. He made it so firm. And so now as, as we move into this chapter, it is another chapter of such great love. And even though his tone is different, you can almost see his disciples trying to kind of ease the tension. Um, but Jesus, look at this beautiful temple. Kind of get his mind off what just happened. But by that comment, it just intensified Jesus even more about what is going to transpire in 70 AD. And so this prophecy in Matthew 24 is actually a double prophecy. First of all, it has to do in that day for the coming of when the Romans come in and annihilate Jerusalem. When Nero sits on the throne of God, so to speak, and claims to be God, that is an abomination of desolation. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem will be destroyed, and so will the temple. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important that Jesus talk about this to them? Again, it's a warning. Jesus says, I want you to be warned. I want to make sure that there's no surprises. Because if you're warned about something, you get yourself ready and prepared for it. So he starts this prophecy with them when he says, this temple is going down. Now, I just want to clarify something about the temples. The first temple, you know, was built by Solomon. But that temple...
temple was destroyed when the Babylonians came and and the people didn't listen to Jeremiah. And so the Babylonians came and took the kingdom of Judah captive for what? Now, watch these numbers. 70 years. Then 70 years later, under the direction of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, the people that chose to come back went back to the broken Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. This is the temple that we're talking about today. But that temple too must have been extraordinarily beautiful. And so when the disciples try to get Jesus' mind off and say, oh, but look at this temple. And the temple is the center of the Jew's heart because that temple is the place where God dwelt. But Jesus then comes back and says these words. Do you see all these things? I tell you the truth. Now one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. That ought to be a jolt. But again, he is warning them so there's no surprises. So that they're prepared, they're ready. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and and said to them, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They thought for sure that when that happened, that all three of those things were going to be simultaneously. That the temple was going to be down, that Jesus' return, it would be the end of the age. So Jesus starts in verse 4, I want you to know that this is, like I said, this is double prophecy. But for the sake of knowing that the first prophecy has been fulfilled. And by the way, if you study this at all, what do you know about what happened in 70 AD? Again, I want to remind you, they were in, they were in, they were in ba- Babylonian um, bondage for 70 years and in 70 AD again and I asked you the question why why did the temple go down for the same reason that they were taken into captivity for 70 years is to remind them that you don't know baby you don't listen to me there's going to be consequences and if you claim that this building is the heart of God, and you're not, you're not obeying me, you're not listening to me, I'm going to show you and get your attention. So how did that prophecy, how did that prophecy, how was it fulfilled? I mean, it was fulfilled to the nth degree, every detail. By saying that, what should we know going into this second prophecy? What should we, you think we should be listening? Do you think we should be taking it seriously? Because what do we know about God's prophecy? It happens. And as much as you want to stick your head in the sand, or as much as you want to, let's not preach Matthew 23 and 24, because it's too scary. He's saying, I'm telling you, if you're warned, you won't be scared. 
If you are ready for it, there is nothing to fear. If you believe that your soul is well, if you believe you wake up every morning with blessed assurance, then this lesson should be nothing but exciting for you because you know that he doesn't change his mind and he will follow through and he loves his children. So we're going to get into it and it isn't a pretty picture. But again, he said, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to make sure you know that this is what's going to happen, that you don't question it. But this is my way of trying for the, when time is running out, I'm going to get their attention. So he starts out, now I believe that this is the start for us, even though, yes, there's many indications of the first prophecy, but it just is exciting too because you see how everything happened. When he, when he says that uh, they will be put to death and hated and that all happened to those guys. So again, just more clues that every prophecy that he gives, it happens. So now as we move in to the teaching of this as the second prophecy, open up your ears. And as I say now, I will say at the end, be warned. Because he is making it very clear. He says, okay, now this is what I want my children to do because as this earth starts coming to an end, as this earth starts getting ready for the return of Jesus, things have got to happen. So he says, what are the first two words he wants you and I as the things start happening and you know and I know they have? Watch out. Now, why does he have to tell you and I to watch out? What does watch out do to you? Well, if you got a sign that says watch out, you're what? Aware. You're going to be looking toward it. So he starts out by saying, now, Come on, my kids. I want you to be watching out for this. What is the first thing he wants you and I to be watching out for? That if you're not watching out, you're going to miss it. If you're not, and how do you watch out? By staying in your Bibles, by, by, by believing this is God's word. There is no other book that is truth. And it is everything that you need. And so he says, I want you to be watching out. I want you to be in it because there's going to be deceivers. There's going to be false prophets. And he says, I want you to be aware that that's going to happen. And the thing is, it's going to sound, it's going to sound like truth. And it's going to be things you want to hear. So for you not to buy into it. I have to tell you that one year we went to the Final Four basketball game, and it was in Utah. And we went with a couple friends of ours. Now, to be very honest with you, the, these couple of friends were not really grounded in God's word. Oh, they went to church, 
but they really weren't grounded in God's word. And it was amazing as we were taking the tour because it was in Salt Lake. We thought, well, between games, between Saturday and Monday, let's, let's go to hear the Mormon tabernacle. Let's take the tour. I'm telling you, if I hadn't grabbed my friend by the neck, she would have been signed on the dotted line because they make it look so good. They make it look so appealing. They make it look so loving and spiritual and family-orientated. And I'm telling you, when they were given the invitation, I felt her gravitating toward that, and I grabbed her. See, how do you know the, the deceit from the truth? There's only one way. Now, when he says that when someone comes claiming, I am the Christ, my first thought was, if anybody comes up to me and introduces themselves as Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, the thing is, I just read this week that there was a big, there was a big conference called the Savior's Day. And the leader of the Islamic nations stood up in front of, his name is Louis Farafat, or Pharaoh, yeah, forget exactly. He stood up in front of everybody and said, I am Jesus the Christ. And he said, if you believe in John 3.16, that's laughable. Because God never loved this world. And Jesus never went to an old rugged cross. Because here I stand. I am the Christ. And you've got all those people sitting out there. And if you aren't grounded in God's word, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna believe it. Now, you might think that and I think we look at that and think, yes, he's nuts. But the severity of how many people are gravitated to him. But I still think there is something to be said about maybe somebody doesn't say, I am the Christ. But anybody who stands behind a pulpit, anybody who, who shares with anybody, and says, oh, just look at you. Look how wonderful person you are. Look at, look at how much money you give to ministries. Look at how much good you do for mankind. Look at all the good deeds you've done. That is a false prophet. Look at all that you've done and you don't think that you're going to heaven. Anybody who claims there is any other way other than Jesus to heaven is a false prophet. And there are millions of those. And if you are not grounded in God's word, your engineers want to hear that. Because we know from what Jesus said that you've got to be humbled. You've got to see yourself broken. We've had all these lessons, remember? And Jesus said, that's the way I receive you. That's the way I choose you. When you follow my instructions, when you hear the way I set it up and you obey it and you come to the cross and you fall broken knowing that you can't 
do it. And that you need a savior. But so many people don't want to hear that. Self is so powerful. It's that 96-year-old lady that says, give me hell any day. If that doesn't show you the power of self raised in this community, but choosing to believe that she's fine in and of herself. Whoever let her believe that is a false prophet. And so he says, first of all, watch out because it's going to be all around you. And if you aren't grounded in God's word, it is going to deceive you because they're going to say what you want to hear. And then it goes on to say, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But look at this line. See to it that you are what? Not alarmed. Look what he goes on to say. Such things must happen. But the end, this is not the tribulation yet. He said, it's just the start, and you've got to be watching out for this. He said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I go back to that line where he says, see to it that you are not alarmed. I think what he's saying to you and I is, Every time you watch the news, and you will, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars, and you're going to hear about this crisis and that crisis, this earthquake, this tornado, this flood. And yes, it's going to be devastating. But he's, he's saying, I dare you, look at the news and say right back to the TV, I am not alarmed. That's a far cry from saying, oh no, this is awful. I'm doomed. It's hopeless. What a contrast. He's saying, I want to switch all that. I want you to look at the news. I want you to hear about that. I want you to hear that's happening. I want you to say, I'm not alarmed because in Matthew 24, he warned me. And he said, watch out for it. This is what's got to happen. But why did we sing Blessed Assurance this morning? Because we're so sure of the ending. And we're so sure of our salvation. Don't be alarmed. I'm warning you. You're watching out for it already. So it doesn't throw you off. Then, now I think this gets personal for the disciples because he is prophesying to them their future and all reality. But in the second prophecy to you and I, if we are still alive, if we still remain, 
He is pretty much saying the same thing to us. He said, be warned. Because this could easily happen. You will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. How many of you, it crosses your mind when you read a verse like that and you know that it's truth and you think, I hope I can do that. I hope I can stay strong. I hope I can be that girl in Columbine High School. When the gun was put to her head and was asked, do you believe in Jesus? And with all confidence, she said yes. Can I just tell you that yes, the fear of the unknown is actually real, the fear of the unknown, but actually... It shouldn't, for the believer who studies God's word, the unknown is really not unknown. Because why? He's told us. He's warned us. He said, this is what's going to happen. And he says, and we've learned this in Matthew, that the Holy Spirit's job in the life of a believer is to give us exactly what we need when we need it. So there isn't a doubt in my mind that if you are a true believer grounded in God's word, if you are faced with a gun, if an intruder comes into this Bible study like he did in Atlanta, Georgia, There isn't a doubt in my mind that the true believer grounded in God's word will stand firm to the end with all kinds of blessed assurance, with all kinds of confidence. Because everything that you've learned about him will go through your mind. This world isn't even my home. I'm just passing through this place. It doesn't matter what is done to this body because all is well with my soul. Because as a child of his, my soul will never die. I think the Holy Spirit will feed you and I with everything we need. To be able to stand like Stephen... And instead of fear, he's standing in compassion, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And when that last boulder hit his head, he just crumpled down. And what does the Bible say? Fell asleep. Because that's what the believer does. He just falls asleep. Until the trumpet sounds. Is this exciting or what? But look at Jesus' warns again. The person that is not sold out on this, the person who is not firm in his belief, when confronted 
with this kind of persecution and death. At that time, many. But see, this should surprise us because already in Matthew, haven't we learned that many are invited, but few are chosen? Few follow the instructions they don't want to. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter, enter God's kingdom. Only those who've done the will of the Father, and that is accept his son. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus also said that wide is the gate, but narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. So this verse shouldn't surprise us either. Because at that time, all those who are sitting in church thinking that that hour of church is good enough and who are reading their 30-second devotional and calling it good for the day, who thinks that they can plug in and out to God's grace, and they can live their life the way they jolly well want to as long as they feel they're one of the elect. Oh, man, you've got to be careful of this because you're going to watch those who aren't sold on this. That's why I prayed it. That's why I said it last week. That's why I promised the Lord this week. I am not going to step back away from this. It is not being preached, so I'm going to. So I'm, I'm going to dare say these words because this is Jesus talking. And he's saying, I don't want anybody to say they never heard or that they weren't warned. I want my children prepared. Because while there's still time, they better get grounded. Because those who aren't grounded, they're going to turn away from the faith. And once you turn away from the faith, guess who's in charge? Me, myself, and I. And then watch them betray and hate. They're going to buy everything those false prophets are going to start saying. And then because of the increase of wickedness, the love, look at this, the love of most will grow cold. See, all those religiosity people, all those religious people, all those who did not take this seriously, who just wrote it off saying, that's too confusing for me. It is not. There's only two choices. You just didn't want to hear it. And when the heart grows cold, and we learned this already in the first part of Matthew, when the heart grows cold, well, our heart is the thermostat of what our body does. So when your heart is right with the Lord, your body will follow. But if your heart grows cold for Jesus, so will every other part of you. You've been warned. But he who stands firm 
to the end will be saved. Is it going to be easy to stand firm? No, he just and he doesn't pull pull a blinder over our eyes and say, "Oh, it's just going to be easy peasy." He makes sure we know it's not. Standing firm is not going to be easy. But look how he finishes that line. Look how worth it it's going to be. You will be saved for how long? Eternity. And then look at he says this verse. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So despite what is going on in our world, can it stop the gospel? What does he say right there? No matter how bad it gets here, the gospel cannot be stopped. Isn't that exciting? The gospel cannot be stopped no matter how bad it gets on this earth. So right now, you can watch that news. You don't have to be alarmed. You don't have to be scared. Because you know that despite it all, the gospel is going to every part of this world because he's not coming back until everyone has heard. That's how fair he is. That's how just he is. Now he's going to open it wide. And he's going to show us that it is not going to be easy. And again, like I prayed, people might interpret the end times differently. And I am not going to be fussy about how you believe, whether you believe in a word called the rapture, whether you believe that the believer will go through this all. All I want you to believe is that Jesus is warning us, saying, there's going to be a period of time that I pull out all the stops because I don't want anybody to perish. But if you've got an opportunity now, don't miss it. Now I'm going to, I, I want you to come with me on a journey to the last book of the Bible. And I want you to see how Matthew 24 and how Matthew 24 and the revelation. And may I just say that it's not called revelations. It's called the revelation because it is the revelation of the Christ. Not Jesus in a manger, not Jesus on the cross, not Jesus coming out of the tomb, not even Jesus ascending. It is the revelation of the glorified second person of the Trinity, the Godhead. We are going to see him as he gave it to John in all of his glory. And why? To give us the hope and to give us something to hang on to. 
with such fervor and to looking at it with not fear, but as his child with such excitement. So, in the Revelation, in chapter 1, John says, I heard a voice like that of a trumpet. In other words, it was very distinguishable. So in other words, I wasn't just dreaming this. It was audible. I saw with my eyes. I heard with my ears. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. And then in the second and third chapter, because the first chapter is kind of like an intro to get you to believe it, Revelation 2 and 3. Now, I I want you to see this because I never saw this before. It was, again, one of those jumping out of my chair experiences because in Revelation 2 and 3, what is he doing? He's warning because he says to John, write seven churches. Write seven warnings to the seven churches. Now, back then, there were literally those seven churches. But because God's word is alive and very, very right now, before the tribulation starts in Revelation 5, 6 through 20, what is he doing to the church, which is who? Us. He's given us what? Seven warnings. Before time runs out, he's given us seven warnings. What did he do last week to the religious rulers before he left this earth? Seven warnings. And what is the number seven? The perfect, complete, complete number. Because he's saying, when I do something, I do it completely. So whether you want to look at it as literal seven, or whether you want to look at as seven being the perfect number, the complete number, I'm not fussy. I just want you to know that what God does, he does it perfectly and completely. So he warns us completely. He hasn't left anything unturned for you and I. In chapter 5 of Revelation, this is quite a picture. Because the angels are gathered. The father is sitting there with a scroll in his hand, it says in Revelation 5. Well, what is that scroll? And why is it such a big deal that that scroll gets opened? Well, that scroll is the deed to planet Earth, and that scroll has got to be opened so that Jesus can return to this Earth. That scroll opens up judgment because you can't have his return until all is judged. Tell everything on this earth is judged. 
So John says, we've searched everywhere and there isn't anyone worthy to take this scroll from the hand of the Father until Jesus rises up and he is the only one worthy. And when John saw this, he wept because if there was no one that was able to open the scroll, that means Satan wins. Jesus rises up, takes the scroll from the Father's hand. Jesus now has the authority to begin judgment. And that's when you start seeing Revelation 6 to 20. You start to see, now do I understand it? No. Do I take it symbolically or literally? I really don't know. Am I going to stand here and take the time to try to explain it to you? No. But I am going to tell you as you read it, it is so noticeable that he opens the seven seals first. And yeah, it's not pretty, but it's not that bad yet. He's trying to get people's attention. And he does. He does get many attention. Many respond to him during the seven seals. But many, many more reject. So Jesus says, all right, I'll open. I will now sound the seven trumpets. This is the next series of events. Seven seals, seven trumpets. I'm not fussy. All I want you to see is the preciseness and the progression of his judgment because he's perfect and how he's doing it. So he sounds the seven trumpets. They're worse. And you're going to see one third of the earth is destroyed. One third of the stars, moons, the, the light is deteriorated. One third, you're, one third of the animals are killed. One third, one third, one third. Precise. Now you would think that by this time people are falling on their knees because it's so evident who's in control. But they hate him so much and would rather go to hell like this 96-year-old lady. They, they, they shake their fist at him and the boulders are falling on them because of the traumatic of the sign. And they would rather be crushed by that boulder than humbly come before him and saying, I confess. That is ridiculous. But it shows the power of human nature. Okay, now I want you to see after that, he opens up the seven bowls of wrath. Which I want you to know, verse in there says that he completely pours out on all of earth his complete wrath. And it is awful. And if you believe the way it says, 
there's going to be someone called the Antichrist who is going to sit on God's throne. That was, again, the, the third temple that's going to be built. And he's going to sit on that throne saying, I am the Christ. And many fall in worship. And many take the mark that he says you must take or you'll die. Now, now I want you to listen to this. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, there's nothing worse than when somebody sits on God's throne and claims to be smarter than him and claims to be him. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never be equaled again. Why do you, why do you think this isn't preached? Because people don't want to hear this. But I'm telling you, it's going to be so okay for you and I because we've been warned. We're going to be watching for this. And what he's saying in the first prophecy, he basically is saying, when you are told to get out of town, get out of town. And for those who don't get out of town in 70 AD, that city is going to be annihilated. Every that did not listen to this prophecy lost their lives. But those who fled and believed this prophecy and left town were saved. Isn't that something? So what about, what's that warning for you and I? He is saying, be ready. Pay attention. Now, I am just going to throw this out to you, and I know that there are denominations in here that do not believe the word, the rapture. And I'm not trying to convince you. However, even though the word rapture is not in Scripture, either is the Trinity, but we certainly do not deny God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. I cannot deny that Paul, when he stood in his jail cell and knew that the people of Thessalonia were panic-stricken about the end times, that he sat down and wrote him these words. I don't want you to be fearful of this, brothers. I want you to be looking forward to this. Because on that certain day, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
But we, which are alive and remain, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And he finishes his words to the people of Thessalonia. Comfort one another with these words. It is not appointed for God's wrath to be on his children. There's one sign, and I think he gives more clues that he's going to take his children out of here. I don't know exactly when during the tribulation, whether it's before it starts, whether it's in the middle, whether it's toward the end, I don't know. But I'm going to show you some more clues. But even if you don't believe it, because like I said, people who don't believe in the so-called rapture, they've said to me, well, then you must believe in two second comings. And I said, no. It doesn't say, Paul doesn't say in Thessalonians that he's coming back. He's saying, I'm going to. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. And the dead in Christ, it doesn't say because that those who are dead that never believed, their resurrection isn't then. Their resurrection doesn't come to Revelation 20. But they will rise. And they will be judged. And that is going to be their second death. But the dead in Christ at that day, they'll rise first. We which are alive and remain be caught up with him in the clouds. Because I think he comes back to this earth with his kids. And I think I'm going to show you proof. But again, I'm not trying to talk you into anything. But sometimes, don't you think that you believe something because it isn't that you studied it. It's because that's what they told you. And Jesus warned his disciples when they all got together, when he first called them, he says, I know you believe. You're all Jewish guys that probably were raised in this. But he said, now I'm going to tell you. He's saying, I want you to study for yourself. And then form your own opinion under the guidance of God's spirit. Don't just stick your feet and your heels in the sand and say, but my denomination. I don't think the Lord ever intended for denominations. He intended for his children to get along. And to study and to learn and to figure things out under the Spirit's guidance by God's word, every word is true. Not a bunch of other books. Not a bunch of la la of theology. Okay. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. See, that's why I'm saying we could be there during the tribulation, at least for part of it. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, because he's saying there's going to be somebody that's going to proclaim it from the heart of the temple in Jerusalem. 
And he said, look, here's the Christ. And there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. I love this line. If that were even possible. Because you, if you stand firm, if you are a believer of God's word, you're not going to be swayed by a thing. But look at verse 25, and I don't want you to miss this line. He says, see, I have told you ahead of time. That's why it's not unknown. He's told us. The reason why it's unknown by so many, because nobody's talking about it. Nobody's studying it. But it's right there. See, I have told you. So if anyone tells you, there he is. He's out in the desert. Do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, is there going to be any question? Is there anybody saying, now I wonder if that could be. No, he just said, no, as the lightning flashes across the sky, no matter where you live in this world, you will know it. Now, verse 28, here's another clue. Look at this. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Okay, now I do want you to flip to Revelation 19 because I don't think you're going to believe me if I just say it. So Revelation chapter 19. Starting with verse 11. This is the second coming of Jesus. We have now experienced the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of wrath. It is now ready. Every evil person is now gathered in one place. And Jesus, remember we've talked about the rider on the white horse. The horse is a symbol of war. He is going to finalize evil for the last time. Now watch, this is so exciting. John says in verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. If you read Revelation 1, that's exactly what John saw. You go back and you watch what John saw. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Look, he is dressed for war. He's already got blood on his robe. And his name 
is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. I want you to go back to Revelation 19, verse 9. Then the angel said to me, John said, no, go, guy, I forgot to go ahead for, to verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride of Christ? The church. When Jesus comes back again, it sounds like the bride is ready. And what is the bride wearing? Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, now go back to verse 14. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. When you were a kid, and I used to sing this to children all the time and never understood the power of its meaning. I may never march in the infantry because I'm in the Lord's army. There's only two armies. And we have to decide if we're in the Lord's army or Satan's army. And we're going to see them both in this chapter. You see the Lord's army wearing the right clothes following the rider on the white horse. And now watch this. Verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice into all the birds flying in the air. John said, I saw an angel calling the birds. And look what the angel said to those birds. Come, gather together. Because the feast isn't just for the bride of Christ. It's for you birds, too. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty men of horses and their riders, and the flesh of, and here's the key, here's another clue, the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. I saw the beast and the king of the earth and their armies gathered together. So here's Satan's armies. Here's Satan's army right here. And this is another clue to me that his children aren't going to be here. Because I believe we're in the Lord's army. In Saint's army, it said, they gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse in his army. Now, I want you to picture this. Is Jesus carrying a bunch of weaponry like guns and technology? And are his armies carrying? No, his armies are empty-handed. 
Because they're following the one that all he needs is to open up his mouth. Because what did we read? His mouth is the sword, and the sword is the word of God. But the evil people on this earth, with all their technology and all of their military, they're going to look at the army of the Lord and Jesus on the white horse and say, how ridiculous is this? We're going to blow them out of the air. Now watch this. See, they bought into all of the false miracles and signs of Matthew 24, verse 24. See, Jesus said it in Matthew 24, verse 24, and he's saying it again in Revelation 19 through John. With with these signs, the Antichrist and the false prophets, they deluded those who received the mark of the beast and the fiery lake of burning sulfur, who who received the mark and worshiped his image. The two of them, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were thrown into the fiery, burning lake of sulfur. Now, here's to me the clue. The rest of them, if there was any believer left at that time, they would not be annihilated and thrown into the lake of sulfur. See, again, I'm not fussy. I'm just throwing these out to you. Because to me, I take comfort, like Paul said, encourage one another with these words. God loves his children. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider. Now look at this. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. What did, now flip back to Matthew 24. What did Jesus say? Okay, he pretty much says in the next verses, be watching, be ready. Verse 31, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect. Now watch, he will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of what? The earth? No, the heavens. Have you ever wondered what your loved ones are doing now? Of course you do. So do I. What's Fred doing right now? What's Jack doing right now? What's my dad doing right now? Oh, man, I wish I could tell you for sure. I don't know. But what I do know is that that Jesus works because he is the word. He said to be absent from this earth means that you are present with me. I don't know what they're doing. All I know is that they're with Jesus. Now to me, that should be enough. Whatever they're doing, I don't know, but they're with Jesus. Until when? I believe it's until verse 31. Until he sounds the trumpet 
And it's like everybody, whatever they're doing right then and there. And if you believe in the rapture, that's us too, whatever we're doing up there. All of a sudden, we're going to hear that trumpet sound. And from the four corners of the heavens, he's going to bring all of us together to come back with him. I think there's the signs. And he's saying, now watch out for these signs. And when he says in verse 34, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. People panic because they think, that could be this generation. You're right. But you've been warned. You are not to be alarmed. He said, I've told you these things. But it also could mean that generation, if it's not this particular generation, it will be this generation when it happens. Now he says this, heaven and earth, heaven and earth will pass away. Is there any question to you? Because in John, when John writes in Revelation 21, after Judgment after the dead who haven't believed have been raised. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, everybody who hasn't believed, whose name is not written in the book of life, are thrown into hell. It is done, Jesus says in Revelation 21. Does that remind you of any other words? He said, it is finished. I complete my mission. But in Revelation 21, he says, it is done. It's over. And John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why in the world do we need a new heaven? Isn't it perfect there? I'm afraid not. What? All you have to do is read Job chapter 1. And Jesus, we believe he's in heaven. We believe our God is in heaven right now. But all of a sudden, God turns and says, what are you doing here? And Satan says, I've come to see who I can devour. And Jesus, God, the word, says, have you thought of my servant Job? So the very thought that Satan can still waltz up up there tells me that heaven isn't perfect. What also tells me that heaven isn't perfect is because I've got a Savior, according to Hebrews. I've got a Savior that feels my pain. That hurts when I hurt. And I also know that in Revelation 21, it says in the new heaven, there's going to be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. So, is Jack, is Fred, is my dad, all your loved ones, are they, what are, what are they doing? Are they experiencing pain? Not on your life. They're with Jesus right now, and all, I think they're just waiting. They're waiting patiently with him until the new heaven and the new earth is opened wide. Maybe some of you are going to go home and you're going to talk to the person you're right with. And you're going to say, I don't know if I buy all that. 
That's perfectly okay with me. All I want you to be made sure of is that he is coming back. And he is going to separate the wheat and the tares. And that heaven and hell are real places. And I just want to finish with these words. Look, no one knows about that day or hour. And it was, it's going to be as in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Did Noah and his family warn people? For a hundred years they did. Did those daughter-in-laws try to tell her their parents? Of course they did. When God shut the door of that ark and it could not be reopened, do you think those daughter-in-laws heard voices they probably recognized and it was too late? Jesus is saying, I'm warning you, it's going to be like that again. The warning is out there. And the door is going to close. This is how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two, will, two women will be grinding with a hand meal. One will be taken, the other left. Now, if you want to believe in the rapture, if you want to believe the left behind series, then you believe that the raptured are taken out of here. And the ones who haven't believed are left behind. If you don't believe in the rapture, then the ones left behind are the believers ready to walk into God's kingdom. And the ones that leave are the ones ready to leave to go through the judgment. I don't much care. He's going to split them. So right after that, he said, therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know when this is going to happen. And he says, this is the best analogy. But understand this. If the owner of a house had come at a, at a time that the, that the thief, if he knew at the time that the thief was coming, it would be obvious. But he doesn't know. Now, I, I kind of put it this way. If somebody came to me and said, Linnell, I know for, for a fact that there's a thief that's going to break into your home and rob you blind. I'm not sure when he's going to do it. I just know for sure that he is. I'm telling you, I would have my guns loaded. I don't even own one. But I, I, I would be so ready that there wouldn't be a chance on this earth that he would get there. It'd be blasted out of the water before he even got close. And Jesus is saying, don't make light of that. This is my warning to you. This is the exact thing. We don't know the time, but you've been warned. Be that intense about that it's going to happen. And then he finally says this. Okay, I'm going to throw this out to you. You got two choices. I always do this. Just two choices. Are you going to be a wise servant? Or are you not going to be? It's one of those two. And what is a wise servant? Well, 
we've already studied in Matthew that Jesus calls a servant great. A servant is one who humbles themselves and comes before him and knows their need for him. What's a wise servant? Well, we learn that from Proverbs. A wise servant is one who is a believer but listens and obeys. Who listens to God's word, who's in it and obeys the instruction, who follows the rules. Who is he talking about here? A wise servant is the one who's going to tell this to the next generation. I heard a powerful statement this week. If you go to a church that is not studying God's word, word for word, who doesn't believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that all three persons are vital to your salvation, change churches. Because we've been warned. Cutesy titles, cutesy series, social gospel. Be concerned that these words aren't warning us because a wise servant passes this on to the next generation. And you and I, if we want to be labeled as a wise servant, we're not going to be too careful on what people think of us because we want them to know this. And then he ends by saying, but suppose, verse 48, suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. And you're saying, that's awful severe. You know what that really means? It's anybody who's doing what they jolly well want to do. They could care less about this. They're saying, ah, you're way over the top with this. It's just trying to spook you. Well, we know prior to these verses, because we've been warned, and he's told us. So this is how firm Jesus says. They're living the way they want. Well, okay. Look at verse 51. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place, look it, with the hypocrites. That's last week's lesson. He, what did he call them? Oh, you might have your out, outside spin polished. You might look like a whitewashed tomb, but inside, you hypocrite, you're a bunch of dead bones. So now he says here, oh, you religious people, you're so spit and polished on the outside. But he puts that word, you know what? As far as the pagans are concerned, oh yeah. But also the hypocrites, you're all going to the same place. Because there's only one of two choices. You're in the first part of this paragraph or you're in the second part of this paragraph. And he said, this is where you're going. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that clear? I said to the Lord when I was studying, but Lord, I don't want to leave him like that. And as sure as I'm standing here, I heard him say, you better. Because that's the way I ended it. I know I went late, but I'm not embarrassed that I did or ashamed. Have a good week, everybody.